Promo Kitchen is an all-volunteer, nonprofit organization committed to the advancement of the promotional products industry through education and mentorship. If you want to get more involved, please visit us on the web at promokitchen.org. One of the ways you can get involved is by donating to our cause. We rely on our community for financial support to help cover the cost of producing our educational content and our networking mixers. You can donate today right from your phone at promokitchen.org slash donate. Thank you so much, and let's get started with the show. This podcast is brought to you by our good friends at the PPAI Expo. Kick the year off at the industry's largest promotional products trade show, January the 14th to 18th, 2018 in Las Vegas. This must-attend event features an exciting preview of thousands of the hottest new products, technology, and trends, the industry's best educational programming presented by thought leaders for professionals at every level, plus CAS, MAS certification credits, and networking for professionals who want to make meaningful connections with industry leaders, top suppliers, and distributors that will drive business growth. It is an absolute must-attend event. Join more than 20,000 industry colleagues, including all of us at Promo Kitchen, at the PPAI Expo in Las Vegas for a full week of insights, learning, and networking. You can register today at ppai.org slash expo. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Promo Kitchen Podcast. We are a community-inspired conversation featuring boundary pushers, rabble-rousers, freaks, and geeks who are shaking up the $20 billion promotional products industry. My name is Mark Graham, co-founder of Common Skew, and I'm excited to speak with Jonathan Isaacson, CEO of Gemline, about an exciting brand partnership that Gemline just struck with Rumi Brand Suite. According to the press release, Gemline will be taking over the distribution of the Rumi product suite for the promotional products channel effective January 2018. I wanted to speak with Jonathan about what this means for Gemline and Rumi, but also to get an understanding about how this trend toward brand partnerships seems to be as prominent as ever in the industry today. I had the chance to speak with Jonathan while the ink on the press release was still drying, and I wanted to share the discussion with the Promo Kitchen community. I hope you enjoy this conversation. So Jonathan, thank you so much for joining me on the Promo Kitchen podcast. It's great to have you on the show. Happy to be here with you. So let's start off with this exciting announcement. Can you tell me what this Rumi brand partnership means for both Gemline and Rumi? Well, it's hard for me to speak for Rumi specifically, but given that I've worked with them so closely for some time now, I can tell you that from the Gemline side and that I believe from the Rumi side, that we are both very excited about this. And what we believe is that we have more opportunity in this market by working together than we have by working apart. Right. And so take me back to the start of this conversation. I mean, did you start speaking with Jay and Katie like a year ago, six months ago? And what was the auspices for the conversation? Well, I can't get too much into detail about the conversations, but we had the chance to meet with them. And honestly, we really liked what they were doing. 
They have great design. They're very innovative in what they're doing. We love the product. We love the quality. And after talking to them, we believe that we could really help drive their growth in this market and that there might be an opportunity for us to work together. So we ended up sitting down with them. And these agreements are very complicated agreements to do, no matter what the brand is, because you have to get to a place that works for everybody. It has to work for us. It has to work for the brand. And most importantly, it has to still work for the distributor and the distributor sales rep. Right. And so you're thinking about all of this as you put it together, and every deal is different. You have to craft every deal according to the needs of the brand and the relationship and what you're trying to accomplish. And so we had to work through a number of issues, but at the end of the day, the nice thing about the folks at Rumi is that they were pretty clear about what they needed. We were pretty clear about what we needed. And that laid the basis for a deal that everybody seems to be very excited about. And when you think about maybe the top one or two critical considerations, Jonathan, when you're putting together these brand partnerships, would one of them be how does each side make enough money? Because presumably that's a key consideration with Rumi at one point selling into the market, I suppose, direct. And now if they're selling through Gemline, how does each party make money without the price going up, but also ensuring that both partners are able to make a healthy margin? Would that be the central consideration? It's a consideration, but it's not the only consideration. Right. So I can tell you that Gemline won't take on any brand. There are brands that we're interested in And there are brands that we're not interested in, quite frankly. And for Rumi, this is an important market. They are growing quite quickly in the market, and they need to make sure they align themselves with somebody who's going to be a good brand steward. Right. If you start with the premise being simply about margin, then you're destined to failure. You have to think about partnership, and you have to think about long-term growth. And of course, margin is a piece of that. But there's a lot of aspects to getting to a margin, and different companies have different skills, things that they're good at. And this is a very unusual market. And for brands, this market can be quite difficult. It is very different than retail and very different from most other markets. And most brands, quite frankly, most consumer brands, that is, are just not set up to deal with this market effectively or efficiently. Right. And that's why somebody like a Gemline is able to put together these deals with brands. It's because we understand the market and we're set up to deal with it. Right. I mean, that's an interesting segue into talking about one of the central problems that you solve for brands. Like, What is the key solution that you are offering to a retail brand when you're making a pitch to them? Well, the first thing that we say to every brand is that Gemline is an exceptional brand steward. So if you think about the way that Gemline approaches the market, we're one of the very few design-build suppliers in the market in that we're designing our stuff and building it versus buying something off the shelf. And it is important for brands because they're coming from the same place. And what they want to make sure is that somebody understands 
design that understands brand essence and understands brand quality is going to be able to take this to market. And there is, as you're going through these discussions and these negotiations, it's really a process of building trust in one another that each one can fulfill the role that they're supposed to fulfill. And for us, it's taking it to market and taking it to market in a way that reflects well on whatever brand it is that we're bringing to market. Yep. I mean, it's interesting if I reflect on my past distributor experience, there's many, many examples, Jonathan, that we've had where you get excited about a retail product and maybe an end client of yours that really wants to have brand X. You get in touch with brand X and assuming they're even prepared to sell to you as a distributor, because many just will say, we don't want our logo on any product, so we'll just exclude those folks. So assuming that the brand actually wants to sell to you, oftentimes they have absolutely no understanding of inventory requirements. They don't understand how to decorate. Their products may be designed in such a way that you can't even decorate them terribly efficiently, whether it's embroidery or getting an embroidery hoop in or just even being able to print the product. And oftentimes it leads to a sour experience because the distributor's end client doesn't get the brand that they want. And the distributor is then just banging their head against the wall, trying to explain this industry to the retail brand. And they're frustrated. And then it just ends up with a lose-lose situation. Contrast that to what you're talking about. If you can go to a Gemline or certainly any number of other suppliers that carry other brands in the marketplace, you know you're speaking to a company that understands, hey, this shipment needs to get out today. Hey, this product needs to be printed in the bottom left-hand corner with a screen print. And you know that the person on the other end of the line is not going to say, uh, what did you just say? So there's clear, clear benefit to, <laughs> to accessing retail brands through a channel and partners of people who actually understand what it means to actually get this out to an end client. You bring up a range of interesting points. First of all, we who have been in this business for any length of time start to think of this business as sort of normal state. Whereas if you go into other industries and you explain how this industry works, they are quite perplexed by the whole model. It is very difficult to explain. And it's also a really, really high-touch model. In a traditional retail wholesale relationship, nobody would put up with the amount of touches that happen as an order goes through the system where a supplier calls up and says, hey, this just isn't going to work or I don't have a ship to address and the myriad of questions that come up. So the retailers haven't built a system that's set up for dealing with all this back and forth. And to them, it's just overhead versus shipping to the boutique, shipping to Target, shipping to whoever they're shipping to, which might all happen electronically through electronic transactions. And so when you call up, when one calls up looking for some sort of brand, they find this difficult, confusing, and expensive, and everybody is unhappy. Yep. The other thing for brands is this industry is huge risk. So for all the brands that Gemline takes on, there's a certain brand promise that yep. the consumer understands. Otherwise, we're just not interested in it in terms of bringing it along. But if you, if you look at the brand suite that we've assembled, which has been carefully assembled, they all stand for a certain amount of design and quality. 
Yep. Now we're going to stick somebody else's brand. We're co-branding it, and Gemline is doing that for you. How do you make sure that something that you find distasteful or even offensive doesn't end up on your product? Yep. And so part of what we offer to people is it's part of the brand stewardship. We're going to take it out in a way that is familiar to the consumer that you're comfortable with that looks and feels like you. You're going to be with other products that feel the same. And by the way, we're going to make sure that we don't put something distasteful on there in terms of a logo. Right. As a side question, Jonathan, I'm curious as to whether any of the brands that you struck partnerships with have conditions about the kinds of distributors that they will sell through. I know there are other suppliers in the industry that have taken on certain high-profile brands, and I believe that one of the conditions of taking on that brand is that they will only partner with, let's say, the top 50 accounts of 50 distributors and every other distributor, even though they may deal with that supplier, do not have access to that brand. Does that kind of limitation apply to any of your brand partnerships? None. It's never come up. And honestly, it'd be something that we would not be very comfortable with. Right. And the brands that we've picked up are, are all exceptional brands. It's never been on anybody's radar screen. Because you can have somebody who's, you know, on a relative basis, smaller, but is dealing with the type of orders and or customers that the brand is happy to affiliate with. Yep. And so it's really about management of the logo, yep. which is difficult given the velocity of the order process right. here. And so again, as you negotiate with any brand, you're going through this process of building trust that you can be a good brand steward. And what brands are looking for is, in part, making sure that you're not going to screw up their brand reputation. Well, exactly. And if there are certain brands that, let's say, have certain values that are in conflict with, let's say, certain end clients, I believe this was the case with, I think it was the Ping brand, not carried through Gemline. I'm not even sure who they were carried by or even if they're in the channel now. But I remember many, many years ago that there was a specific ban on alcohol and tobacco and client brands on that. And that's, I suppose, totally fine. If that's not what they wanted, then that would have been written into the deal. And I think that would also apply in Gemline's case that if there was some objectionable logo or catchphrase, presumably Moleskin is not going to want that on their brand as an example. And, and you're able to prevent that. That's a great example because Moleskin was uh, very concerned about what was going to end up on their brand when they came to us they were already growing very quickly and the management of those logos it is a challenge given velocity and so we started with a list of end user verticals where they were uncomfortable and over time we have narrowed the list down to what everybody believes makes most sense for them that preserves their brand integrity and where you're servicing what I think everybody would say are really good brands. You can use alcohol as an example. There are great wineries out in Sonoma. And if I understand that some people may be opposed to alcohol-related logos and especially some of them, but uh, how many people are really going to be bothered or think that it's a brand detriment to any brand to have 
some of those great wineries put their logo on yep. a great brand's product. And so you have to work through it with people because they're not used to this by and large. This is not an industry that many people understand. And so they're relying on our expertise. And they're also, at this point in time, relying on the fact that we have this brand stable. So it was stable of brands. And they know these brands. They're meaningful in the world. And if it's like the restaurant where if people are sitting there, I probably want to eat there. Yeah, no, makes perfect sense. So Jonathan, I'm curious to know what percentage of Gemline's product line today is made up of Gemline designed product versus brand partnerships. So that's a very complicated question because there's multiple deals that we have with brands. So for some brands, it is pure distribution. Yep. For some brands, it's pure license, where we're making the product under license of the brand, yep. where the brand feels like we need more industry-specific product for whatever reason. And in that case, you're working with the brand in terms of design approvals, but we're building that here ourselves. And in some, it's a mix. So to answer that, you know, I'd have to go through and say, these products are licensed, these products are distribution, right. these products are gemline alone. Right. What the key thing is from the end user perspective, if we give you a Samsonite backpack, whether we made it, Samsonite made it, or the elves made it on the North Pole, there is a quality promise from Samsonite in terms of that backpack and a design promise that the end user is going to expect. Because when they get the product, there is the recognition, there is the co-branding that happens, and there is the quality and design promise. That's why one buys a brand instead of does a generic, that you're looking for that additional brand promise. And no matter what happens, we have to deliver on the brand promise. That if you have to build to the design spec of whatever brand it is that you're building, and that's a hard thing. So noting that additional complication between pure distribution and manufacturing under license, if let's say we were to simplify it and say, if you were to break down the Gemline product line between Gemline brand product versus branded partnerships. And again, when I say branded partnerships, I don't care whether you've made it under license or whether it's just pure distribution. Okay. The bulk of our business is still the Gemline branded right. business okay. because we have Gemline and then we have a bunch of house brands that all have a very specific design aesthetic and do quite well for us and are now recognized within the industry. And so there's still considerable growth there. We're launching Rumi. There's other launches of other stuff coming, but this will be the biggest and most sophisticated launch of Gemline product in our 60-year history coming up in January. Right. I don't think we've ever built better product. Yeah. And the reason I bring that up now is not about Gemline, but it's about the commitment to the Gemline branded product, that we view right. these things as mutually beneficial. They have to support each other. And the way that we and the suppliers who do what we do think about this is it's a little bit like merchandising a store. 
you have to think about what the assortment is and how the entire assortment fits together. So we never got into fidget spinners. We never got into stress balls. It's not that they're bad products. People sell a heck of a lot of all of them. They don't fit into the product line of what Gemline does. Yep. And so we leave that to others who can provide more value there than we can. If we can't differentiate with design, brand, or quality, we just don't participate in that part of the market. Right. And so you have to make sure that your assortment, that the whole assortment, including the Gemline piece, fits and that it doesn't become out of balance. Jonathan, do you see brand partnerships representing a bigger part of the supplier go-to-market strategy in the next few years? Not really. To me, it feels like every major supplier has struck some kind of brand partnership in recent years, noting Shinola and the book company, Prime with Built, and of course, its suite of brands, PCNA with Cutter and Buck and many others, Logomark with Oakley and many other examples. It feels like when you're walking the show floor with all of these great suppliers that there's an increasing amount of brands that are creeping into the line. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I actually think it's just a, it's a very interesting thing in terms of how our industry has grown up. I said not really pretty quickly, and I do believe that not really. First of all, I think brands have been tangentially involved in the market for a long time. Yep. I also think that for some suppliers, brands are more important than for other suppliers and that some brands are more meaningful than other brands are. So you can put on a brand, but the question is, is it a meaningful brand? And it has to be meaningful to the consumer that's really driving significant volume through the channel. Yep. If you look at the supplier base, the reality is there's a very, very small group of suppliers who are really bringing the bulk of the brands into the market for the brands who aren't trying to do it on their own. And there are still some brands who do try to go it alone. But by and large, the brands have congregated yeah. into a select group of suppliers. And the reason for that is, one, these deals are quite complicated. And brand stewardship is hard. And dealing with brands takes a skill set that most in the industry just don't have. Right. You have to be set up to do it. Right. And just like Gemline is not going to get into, you know, has no fidget spinners and stress balls, there are people who would probably be better served without a brand in their stable. Right. You know, I don't, depends on everybody's strategy. Or if they are going to get a brand, it has to be a brand meaningful for what they're doing. Yep. So you aren't going to take a super high end brand and put it on, you know, again pick any product, a stress ball. And again, nothing against stress balls, fine products, but you just want to make it all match so that it is understandable and digestible by the consumer. Right. I've got a question about margins for you, Jonathan. How do you internally balance the selling of your own product line? And I'm making an assumption that your own product line is produced and sold at higher margins versus that of brands, whether you're distributing them or you're producing under license at presumably lower margins. So my assumptions there may be incorrect, but I'd love for you to comment on how it is that you as a business owner put this together and balance the trade-off between natively produced product versus that of a brand partner. 
first, one of the promises that we make brands is we're going to put the same sales and marketing muscle. This is what their expectation is, and it's what we promise to do and do behind their product as we put behind our product. So we sell all of the product that is in our product line equally. The margin calculation is a much more complicated one that I'm willing to get into in this particular venue. What I will tell you at a very high level is that there's always some blending, even within a supplier's product line. So if it was all Gemline, there are some items that are a little bit better and there are some items that are a little bit worse, depending on where you are within a specific category. What we have and the way that we manage this is through a complicated, sophisticated product lifecycle management system. So through this PLM process, it drives what we're going to launch, how it's going to be launched, what the mix is. And the way we view things is through the lens of the customer. So ultimately, it's about driving customer value. And if you walked around the building, you'd see lots of signs that In fact, I believe you have seen this about driving customer value. And so you have to blend things and you have to have a system that's able to manage it. And that's what we do. Right. And I would say the same approach is taken by distributors when they're selling to end clients. The same example for the distributors that are listening to this, where they'd recognize this is if you're selling to a typical end client and they want white t-shirts. They want logoed golf balls and they want custom bags. So most distributors would know that they have to be really sharp with their golf ball pricing. They need to be fairly sharp with the white t-shirts because they're a commodity. But yet on that custom bag that has lots of touches, they can make up the margin that they're losing so that they can end up with an average margin that makes sense. So I can specifically speak from experience on the distributor side that that's how we have done it. I don't want to make assumptions on the supplier side, but it sounds like that's kind of what you're saying. By and large, even without brands, what we have is a blending, and it's true in retail also, that end cap at a retailer has been sold at a lower margin to that retailer, and they look at the whole blended profitability of the retailer. And there's probably not a business on the planet where there's not some blending going on. Absolutely. Okay, I want to ask a question about Rumi and their success in the market. So from my vantage point, Rumi seemed to be doing so well in the promotional products market. They had earned the fastest growing supplier designation, I think this past year by ASI, lots of great PR, a great team. They launched Brand Suite with all the collection of other brands over the last 12 months. Why do you think, Jonathan, this was the right time for them to exit the channel and hand distribution over to Gemline? Well, figuring out the exact right time is always difficult, but Rumi is a very fast-growing brand across a range of channels. And for them, this is one channel, and it's a channel that requires a lot of effort. So if you think about what we do here, you have the sales process, the marketing process, the customer service process, the decorating process. There's so many pieces and it's so touch intensive. So most orders, I did a study for 
with the industry a number of years ago, something like 4.2 touches per order in customer service. 45% of the orders actually don't require intervention. Something like that is the average across the industry. And so when you're somebody like Rumi, you say, am I better off going this alone and trying to scale up all the sub-processes to make this work and to provide service excellence? Right. Or am I going to be able to grow even faster by partnering up with somebody? So net net, this ends up better for me. Right. So we talk about margin, but we haven't talked about cost at all. Right. And there's a huge cost involved in servicing the channel, which Gemline's already set up to service the channel and service the channel well. Jonathan, I remember a couple of years ago I ran into you at Expo and we were talking about order complexity and order size. And I remember I made a comment that you disagreed with, and I was very surprised that you disagreed with it. And my comment was, Jonathan, presumably you love the big orders that come in that are clean, and you must hate the small distributor with the small order that comes in with lots of complexity. And I thought you were going to say, you're right, Mark, I do hate that. And you said, actually, no, we love those small, complex orders. Do you want to get into that? I love small customers. Right. And we like orders. Not complex ones. Okay. <laughs> My bad. <laughs> We're not looking to drive complexity into the system. Yep. So let me clarify for you. One is that people assume that big customers give big orders and small customers give small orders. But in reality, it's a scatter graph. Yep. So you can get a small customer with a big order. We got a sizable order last week, very sizable. And I had never even heard of the distributor. In fact, I sent an email out and I said, who is this and what do they do? And that does happen. The other side of this is if you look at a lot of big distributors, and you know we like them too, but they get programs. And in those programs, you get very small orders. And you have to be able to process those. You have to be able to set them up. There's all sorts of cost embedded in the system. So it's not so linear. It's not so binary. Every customer is different and every order is different. And what you have to have as a supplier is a system to manage the complexity and meet the customer where they want to meet you. Right. And I think that that's a great way of illustrating the point that you were making in that previous question about Rumi and some of their considerations, that even though they're a phenomenal supplier and operationally sophisticated and sales are growing quickly, the reality is that if you're smaller and you're getting hit with big distributors that have got small order needs through the programs, and then you've got these small distributors that are more agency-oriented that are placing big orders, I can imagine that if you're not really set up for that, that that would be a very intimidating state of affairs. Even if you're a big company, a big brand, it can be difficult because your systems and processes are not set up for this business. I don't want to say we've seen it all because every time I say that, we get completely and utterly surprised. But we've had very large integrated brands come to us and say, geez, this just doesn't fit within our model. We've had, on a relative basis, smaller brands come to us and say, we've got a number of channels. This one is different than all the rest. We don't think we can service it as well as you can. So we're going to turn it over to you. And 
we tell them that's great. And by the way, we think we can grow this channel faster for you. And almost without exception, that has been the case that they're able to grow as fast as Rumi has grown. We suspect we'll be able to grow that business even faster. It won't be because it's now in the Gemline system, it won't be separated out. But I can tell you that some of our brands are compounding at just stunning rates. And they were growing quickly before, but it's this whole thing about what are you optimized to do? To this point, I had a conversation with a great distributor I was visiting, and we were talking at a very high level about strategy, and we were talking about picking the orders and customers that most make sense for your business model. And we try to be very clear about what we are and aren't to people, as I described with the stress balls and the fidget spinners, and just saying, that's what we're not. Rumi is what we are. And when you walk around our organization or you talk to our people, or you look at our merchandising, this is what we are and why it fits. And if there isn't a good fit, the whole thing ends up blowing up. It's no good for anybody and very expensive. So it's all about making sure as you go through these things that you have a good strategic fit and that the organization, whether you're selling in this market or you're selling to Walmart, where you're selling to Neiman Marcus or on the Amazon platform, that you're optimized and the activities that you're doing internally match up to whatever it is that you've set up in terms of your strategy. Jonathan, are you able to comment on what's going to be happening with the Rumi brand suite team that was focused on the promo channel? Will they be working alongside you in the promotional channel or will they be now focusing exclusively on their retail line back in Denver? The only thing I can say on that is there'll be some of them who are working with us in terms of supporting our business, and there are some people who will turn to their retail business. But when we set up a deal with any brand, so speaking more generically, we have some requirements on our side in terms of what we need to have to support the business. And beyond that, we generally don't get into long discussions with the brands. Each of them make different decisions about what they're going to do in terms of how they're going to redeploy resources. And that's just not something that's appropriate for us to get into with any of the brands. No, of course. And I can imagine that every scenario is different. Every scenario is different. That's that's right. And and as, as you've pointed out, every one of these strategic partnerships is complicated. Complicated might be the theme of this particular discussion and how it is that you make the complicated simple. There you go. That could be your new tagline, Jonathan. <laughs> we'll add it. I'll be trademarking it after I get off this call. There you call. go. I'll only take a 5% royalty. Perfect. Okay. So I want to ask a question that I think surfaces in some corners of the industry, but the potentially negative side of these brand partnerships. So I'll, I'll let you know what I mean. So some corners of the industry might argue that retail products offered through promotional suppliers like Gemline, PCNA, Logomark, Prime, et cetera, et cetera, not singling out anyone, but those are just prominent examples, that those retail products are watered down versions of the quote unquote real retail line, specifically limited colors, limited SKUs. If some of the products are produced under license, they may be a little bit more conservative and less interesting than what you might see at retail. How do you react to such views? Is there any truth to this or am I being dramatic? 
I think that there's truth, but described incorrectly. So let me explain a little bit more. If you bring a brand to market, you want to bring something that is appropriate for the channel. So whether it's a Gemline product or any of our competitors that you've named, if you look at the bulk of what's sold, it's in primary colors, black, navy, royal, the major colors that people buy. And there are some that get very deep into colors in their assortment. But by and large, what's sold is within a really narrow band. And you know this, that a lot of end-user customers are a bit more conservative, even people in a tech business or a fashion business, in terms of what they're going to buy when they're giving out to a range of people. So it's one thing to buy the leopard skin jacket color, not actual leopard, but the leopard color jacket for yourself. It's another to give it out to a thousand people that you don't know very well at a conference. And we all know that's the reason that people tend to be more conservative in terms of what the selection is for the ultimate product. What we don't do is water it down. What we do is create product that's appropriate for this particular channel. And some of the product is further out on the fashion scale, and some of it's much more conservative and less far out. But it not only has to be something that people are going to buy, but it has to be something that you can decorate. And one of the challenges with retail lines is that the area where the decoration is oftentimes is unreachable by any equipment at all. It's not optimized for this business. So one of the reasons a brand might come to a supplier like us is to help them optimize this product. One of the reasons we build and we're building with design approval from a brand to their specific design specs in a supply chain that they have inspected rigorously, rigorously because their brand reputation on, you know, in some cases, multi-billion dollar brands are at risk, so you have to do it right. But we will build an appropriate product that can be decorated and can highlight the end user logo on this. Because ultimately what we're doing is we're in the advertising business. We're selling affinity, we're selling brands. And what we want is a product that when somebody opens the box, they're going to say, well, this is cool. I'm going to use this. And, oh, I understand this brand. It makes me even more willing, anxious, excited to carry this product because this is something that I relate to and I know it stands for quality. And I understand what the brand that gave it to me is now trying to do, even if it's all at a subconscious level. That's all we're trying to do with this. That's what the industry is trying to do. So it has to work. And there are some things that are done at retail that just aren't going to work in this industry. To the extent you're able to comment on Rumi specifically, I know I'm curious, and I think many other people are curious as well, about what percentage of the Rumi collection you'll be bringing on and whether there will be a limitation in some of their you know, more creative, wacky colors. I don't know if leopard skin is actually one of their bag colors, but if it is, you know, I think you should definitely bring it in. <laughs> but how will you be optimizing and streamlining, if at all, in 2018 with Rumi, to the extent you can comment? 
So our agreement is for the entire brand suite. So we have access to the entire suite. There is not a final decision made. This is now, we've made the announcement, there is an agreement, and we're rushing towards launch in very early spring, late winter, early spring of 2018. And we're going to go through and we're going to figure out exactly what makes sense. But we need to make sure that we keep the brand essence intact. So our goal is to make sure we're doing what makes sense for the customers and what makes sense for the brands. And it's why we're keeping their Made in the USA product. It makes sense for the customers and it makes sense for the brand. And we love the product. So that's going to move forward. And as we go through the assortment planning, we are exceptionally careful to make sure that we do what makes sense for everybody. And that means keeping the brand essence. Jonathan, and wrapping up here, I know that when you were sharing the news with me just prior to this getting launched, you had mentioned that a quote unquote big announcement was coming. Of course, that was the Rumi announcement. And then you had mentioned that 2018 will see a string of very interesting announcements from Gemline that will complete the puzzle, your words, not mine. And I'm wondering whether you can give the listeners of the Promo Kitchen community some insight into what exciting things we should expect from Gemline in the next six months and to talk a little bit more about this puzzle. Well, one never wants to give away the answer key before we actually play the game. And so, <laughs> yes, I know you well. Yes. So that would be much less interesting and take away all the fun that we have here at Gemline. This is what I can say at a high level, because I think that you touch on something important. The reason, stepping back, actually, we believe that this industry continues to evolve and it evolves on a multitude of levels. So there's the whole digitization effort. There's the effort to connect companies. And one thing that's been going on actually for quite a long period of time is a change in the nature of the product that's offered in the industry. When I got into this business now a long time ago, the product line was relatively unsophisticated. Nobody cared about safety and compliant. I mean, they cared about safety, but it wasn't high on anybody's radar screen in terms of safety, compliance, any of the social issues that we deal with, any of the regulatory issues at a federal level and now even at a state level. And what's happening is that you're seeing an increased level of sophistication that continues to evolve across the entire industry. And whether it's the type of programs that distributors are doing the type of product offerings that suppliers are providing to the distributors to solve a problem, this continues to evolve. And I think as I sort of tease you a little bit with what we have coming on, and we have some very interesting announcements coming down the pike, it is true. It's a recognition on our part that this industry continues to evolve and that all the players, all the suppliers, all the distributors need to continue to evolve if they want to continue to participate in the industry growth that's out there. Right. Well, I think that's a fair answer. And I think that if what you mean, Jonathan, that we're going to be seeing more exciting news on par with this roomy announcement, then I think the industry will brace itself. I know you also mentioned that 
there'll be a lot of exciting things introduced in January, specifically at the expo and, you know, possibly ASI Orlando. So I know that I'll be excited to go check that out. Jonathan, anything else in closing that you would like to add as it relates to this particular topic and Gemline's plans over the next couple of years? I think we've gone through most of it. I think that the key recognition or one lens in which to view this is that we're, as we look at this from a very high level, and I think there are others who are doing this, some better than others, like in everything in this world, that we're doing things that all fit with the nature of who we are and who our partners are. And that whether it's us, a competitor, a distributor, whoever it is, ultimately it's all about strategic fit, putting something together, aligning the activities, and making sure that it's something that ultimately is going to drive value for the customers. And so in anything we do, if you're looking at it in terms of what Gemline has coming down the pike, I think it's important to have the recognition that everything is done with an eye towards driving exceptional customer value. And we believe we have that with Rumi. We believe that we have this with our other brand partners. We have a bunch of fabulous brand partners. We think there's a lot of exciting stuff happening out at the industry, not just with us, with other people also. And I can say, you know, I guess my close would be it's fun just to be a part of this. It's a really interesting time to be in this industry. And it's a lot of fun. Absolutely. Well, Jonathan, thank you. What an interesting conversation. And I salute you and your team and, of course, the the folks at Rumi for striking what appears to be a very healthy and sensible partnership. And look forward to more excitement from you, Jonathan, as you complete the puzzle in 2018. Thank you for letting us play the game with you. Thanks for having me. Thanks again for listening to this edition of the Promo Kitchen podcast. If you like what you hear, you can subscribe to the podcast through iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And remember, you can always get involved in the Promo Kitchen community by visiting us at promokitchen.org. You can also show your support by donating to our cause at promokitchen.org donate. We would sincerely appreciate it. See you next time. Thank you.